0: Welcome to another edition of Locked on Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, here with you all on this Friday, Hurricane Day, for us here in New Orleans. So please be safe wherever you are. But because I know many of you are stuck at home today, no one's really working, I'm going to be hunkering down at the house as well. We've got an extra long edition of Locked on Pelicans. I know a lot of people have said they wanted a longer one. Well, we've got it. we got special guest Jim Eichenhofer of Pelicans.com here to talk all things Summer League with me. We've already talked a lot about Jackson Hayes, Nikhil, Alexander Walker, Didi Silva, Zion, and Williamson, but we touch more on those guys and really what we've seen from them throughout this summer league run and why you should be excited and feel good about their futures. We talk about a couple of the other guys as well and then get into the team building also that David Griffin is doing, the vision, the plan that's in place with this roster, with this franchise. It is a very fun time if you're a Pelicans fan and we are going to break it down all for you. So let's just dive into everything in today's edition of Locked On Pelicans. All right, special Friday guest as everyone gets prepared for the storm coming through New Orleans here. I've got Jim Eichenhofer, writer for Pelicans.com. You can follow him on Twitter. It's at Jim underscore Eichenhofer. Jim, thanks for taking the time out of what's a very busy time in Vegas, I'm sure.
1: No problem, Jake. We actually have a little bit of time today, so we're getting ready as you said for Saturday, the quarterfinal games. And um, But I, I'm glad to join you.
0: Yeah. So you've been out there this whole time with with the team and you've been calling the games on the radio, which has been pretty fun. Have you seen any excitement before like this when it comes to summer league? It just seems like it's a very different atmosphere, even without Zion playing and the other rookies really stepping up that you can kind of hear it coming through the broadcast to people watching from home.
1: Yeah, I I would say definitely not. There's been a lot of summer leagues where I think the word I would use is the Pelicans have had kind of an anonymous roster. I mean, part of that is because they've traded first round picks so frequently that they didn't have a lot of well-known players on their summer league team. But this year with, it's kind of gone in like waves. I think the beginning you saw the, so many people standing in line the first day outside the arenas wanting to get the best seat they possibly could get to see Zion Williamson make his debut. And then after he was sidelined and, it was i'm sure a letdown to a lot of fans i mean it was a letdown to me as well i wanted to see him play as much as possible and he was only able to play the 9 minutes on in on the game in the game that he played but then after there was that um letdown the way that the, the two other first round picks have played as well as this one second round pick once they were cleared to play it to me it provided another wave of of energy and optimism and just excitement for the summer league team um, first off with Jackson Hayes had that dunk that everybody was talking about for a couple of days. And then I think after the game uh, Wednesday against the Cavs, everybody's looking around like, man, this Nikhil Alexander Walker, he's pretty good. So um, it's just been, it, it just seems like there's been so many, as you guys, as you know, like positive things that have happened this off season. And it just, every time you think, okay, well that's, we're at a good point now where there's been a million great things that have happened, something else Occurs And it just seems like that's been the case with these other three uh, draft picks for New Orleans that, of of course, we're never going to get a ton of attention in the scheme of things because everyone is so focused on Zion Williamson. But it's been amazing to watch the way that all three of those guys have played in their first couple games on the court out here.
0: Yeah, it's it's been wild to see. And, you know, look, you you cover the team, you travel with the team, you're around them all the time. You know, usually on um, like mid July, we're not exactly talking about this Pelicans roster, this Pelicans franchise. And now it's all anyone wants to talk about because of the yeah. exciting play from Jackson Hayes from Alexander Walker and DD Silva and it's been a lot of fun to see. So let's focus on Zion really quickly since as you said 9 minutes he looked good in that, but I think his jumper needs some work. What did you see out of him in just that that flash that he had in the first half before the earthquake?
1: Yeah, I mean between the what he played, what he did on the court against the Knicks and what I think everyone here saw that he can do in practices you knew that he was going to, going to be pretty physically imposing and that he was going to present a, a huge matchup problem because of just his combination of how quick his feet are and the size that he has. But just to be able to see him do that in a brief stint, I know, against New York, and they had several guys who played pretty significant minutes last season for them in the regular season. to be able to just overwhelm people, and I think he had three or four dunks in the amount of time that he was on the court, it was just fun. It seemed like he provided... Even though he, he didn't play double-figure minutes, he provided a, a highlight reel that people are g- going to go back to over the course of the next few months before we get into training camp uh, of just some of the, the stuff that he can do on the court. So, like you said, you know, there's a couple areas of his game that he needs to refine. I, I know he's going to keep working on his jumper, and his free-throw shooting was, was you know mediocre at Duke last season. But, but, man, when you see, especially when he gets out in the open court or he had that play where he ripped the ball away from Knox, And dunked it and everybody in the whole arena went crazy it was like you can just see all of the reasons why people were so excited about his potential coming into the NBA
0: yeah it's it's, he just looked like he belonged out there and I think that's all you know at least I wanted to see out of him in summer league was just play better even if it's slightly than everyone else and he did that and then once the injury came through Mm -hmm. it's like yeah you just don't need to see any more from him in that because he showed you that this is what it's supposed to be. You mentioned his footwork and it was, I think that first score he had where he got the ball. Maybe it was around the free throw line, a little bit higher in a pick and roll. He basically like glid to the basket is the way it kind of looked like just one hop gets down low Mm -hmm. and can just muscle it up for a big man with his size. His footwork is unbelievable.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where you see, or you hear some of the comparisons. I know everyone's struggling to try to find someone that they can, compare him to from the past of the NBA, but um, I think that's where like the Charles Barkley stuff comes from as far as just a guy who's, who's huge, but he has the the quick feet that you don't see from someone that size. So just his, just his natural athleticism and his, the package of whatever, everything he has is just something that we haven't seen very much of. And I think one other thing to think about too, that I had had thought of a little bit after that game he didn't really have any chances to get out in transition. I think there was one time where the whole arena was about ready to get, jump up out of their seats and explode when he uh, there was a transition play, but somebody for the Knicks made a smart uh, just take foul to keep him yeah. from getting to the basket. But really, I mean, I'm looking forward to when he's able to get out in transition. And As we all know, how much the Pelicans run and how much they like to push the ball. He didn't really have much of a chance to do that in the summer league game, but I'm sure when he's out there with you know more veteran players and the Pelicans, there's a lot of enthusiasm I think around the team as far as the defensive ability that they're going to have with all of the additions that they made, including some of the veterans. That you know this could be a really opportunistic team that turn, creates a ton of turnovers, and if there's no better way to exploit some of Zion's strengths than to be able to push the ball and get him out into three on twos and two on ones and have. The other team basically running for cover to not be in (laughs) in, uh, dunk posters.
0: Yeah, well, isn't that what Griffin says when he's trying to kind of build a team of possession enders as well? Guys who can either grab that rebound or force the turnover – and when I was watching a lot of Zion leading up to the draft, his instincts on that side of the ball are unbelievable for someone who just turned 19 years old. he It's like something you can't teach or coach. He just knows when to time things, when to gamble, when not to gamble. And he kind of did it a little bit when he ripped that ball out of Knox's arms and just you know made mm-hmm. him look foolish right there. It's just he hunts for it in a way that you don't normally see rookies do.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think what – what Griffin was saying partly was that I think this team already has a bunch of guys that can create offense or can set guys that are playmakers. People that I mean, Lonzo Ball has averaged a lot of assists in the modest amount of playing time that he's averaged so far in his first two years. Drew, as we know, even when he's playing shooting guard, he has games where he gets a lot of assists and set pe- sets people up for open shots. So I think in, in- Brandon Ingram's the same way. He's 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 had a he's been able to play make a little bit, but he's also been Somebody that finishes plays. So it's such an interesting mix of guys. And I know you referenced earlier that in mid July everyone seems to be talking about the Pelicans, and that hasn't been the case as much in previous years. But I just think it's almost hard to wrap your mind around when you add in the potential of the guys from the Lakers. You you talk about what some of these first round other uh, draft picks beyond Zion, how well they've played so far in these first couple games. And then you add in the other veteran acquisitions, um, such as Derek Favors. I mean, it's it's almost hard for me to even comprehend what we're all what we're, what we're entirely looking at when this team comes together for training camp because it's just there's just talent from so many different angles and so many different positions and it. So that I think that's one of the things that's really fascinating about this team and why people around the NBA are going to be really interested to watch what happens when we do get to the the real season.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, you know, we're about to hit maybe that dead period with this team and the NBA just in general after that initial surge of free agency going into training camps. And it's going to be like a long three months, I think, for most Pelicans fans now and all of the new fans that think things are coming daily with it. You mentioned all of the talent that they have on the roster. It's also talent that really fits, though, I think. You know, Derek Favors, even being in a pick-and-roll heavy offense with the Utah Jazz, seems to do well in transition. From the limited uh, possessions that he had, and in Mm -hmm. the in the press release, it sounded like David Griffin maybe sees this guy, even though he's on a one year deal, as someone who's a core of this and could be with the team even longer than that. And every move they've made, really, there's a very clear vision that it seems like they're going out and executing is maybe the best way to put it, and really filling out the roster with talent that also matches up with the style of ball that they want to play.
1: Yeah, for sure, and. I mean, there's a bunch of different things that you could talk about with Favors, but one of the things that you said kind of um, made me think of that I'm really interested with him as far as, as we all know, Utah is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of style of play from New Orleans. They play more like the, the Memphis grind-out games, play uh, lower tempo. They relied a lot on their defense, which was great. I mean, that was a huge reason for their success. But I do wonder what Favors is going to be able to do as one of the best Um, big men in in the league in terms of running the floor of how much more that they'll be able to capitalize on that on a team that once has a goal of leading the league in pace and is going to get up and down the floor and probably score a ton of points. So, I mean, that's all, that's all good. I think the other element too, that I would add to when you say that there's a clear vision about what they're doing and all of the pieces fit together on the court is that I see a very reoccurring theme in terms of the type of people that they're bringing in. And this is something that David Griffin has also referenced a few times. I've heard nothing but positive things about each of the um, – all of the really four guys that were, that came out of this draft class, obviously including Zion Williamson and the three players that we've just seen on the court for the first time this week. It's incredible to me when you talk to um, people from Virginia Tech who covered Nikhil um, and you talk to people that cover Jackson Hayes about – um, just the type of people that they are and just the maturity level for people, guys that are 19 or 20 years old, if, they, if you listen to them, I'm sure a lot of people have already seen the interviews with them that they've done after um, games this week. They just come across so well. And, and I think that's part of uh, – Favors is another example that Utah, it seems like they almost had like a parade for him as far as <laughs> yeah. wishing him well in terms of his departure. I mean, there was like full-page ads that people took out to say, thank you for what you did in the eight-and-a-half years. I mean, their media just loves the guy. So, basically, to kind of sum all of that up, it just seems like they've done such a good job of bringing in guys that have high maturity and high character. And, I mean, there's a bunch of things to like about that. But, to me, one of them is I think as the fans in New Orleans get to know some of these guys more, they're going to – I mean, people are already totally on board and excited about the Pelicans. But when you get to know some of these guys even more, I feel like it's going to make you want to root for them even more. I I mean – Josh Hart is another guy that I think he hasn't He's even, a fan he
0: favorite hasn't even already. put on a
1: uniform yet. Exactly. And so I just love that part of it so far. I mean, from a selfish standpoint, it makes it so much fun to come in every day and see people that you want to see do well and people that have, have maturity and you know conduct themselves professionally. So I say kudos to, to the front office so far for having a, a vision of what they wanted to, to bring in setting like um, not completely of course setting aside the basketball element but just the the kind of uh people that they wanted to have and have here and the kind of traits that they want and it, of course that a lot of times translates translates into good chemistry in a locker room where everybody's on the same
0: page. Yeah, and I think you can kind of see a lot of that already and it ties into what Griffin talks a lot about which is the culture building and kind of the family like atmosphere that he's trying to bring in there when you have just high character guys you know I think that adds to it all and it does build that chemistry quickly I also think one thing you see and we can jump into the other rookies in a minute is you know in terms of those off the court traits kind of that high basketball IQ that it seems all Mm -hmm. of these guys to have at that introduction Trajan Langdon said Didi Silva doesn't speak much English but he's a smart basketball player so if you throw him on the court with other smart basketball players they kind of figure it out and you're seeing these guys it looks like they've been playing basketball together for months instead of What, they went through maybe one practice before that first Summer League game for the other three guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they might have had a practice
1: and maybe one shoot-around. But no, you're right. I mean, I didn't talk as much about Didi as the other guys because partly, obviously, the language barrier makes it more difficult to um, get in touch with people in Brazil. But talking to Jaron Arbel, who's the Pelicans director of international scouting, he says all of the same things about Didi as what I heard about the um, U.S. college players that were added between Zion Jackson and Nikhil in terms of just his maturity level is really high. I'm actually, to plug myself for a second here, right, writing an article about Didi that's on, the, on Pelicans.com that talks a lot about his background and, and his um, perspective on things. He's very self-aware in terms of he knows what kind of player he is, and that's helped him a lot in terms of he's very realistic about what his strengths and weaknesses are. So, I mean, those are that he's not going to be on the team this season. Obviously, he's going to be stashed in Australia, but he's another guy that people are excited about and whatever your opinion of him was before summer league, I know there's a lot of people that didn't know much about him, including me. I didn't know a ton I, about I didn't know his. I didn't know a
0: thing, I'll be honest.
1: Right, right. Whatever your perception of him was or your enthusiasm level, after you've got to watch him play in these two summer league games against Chicago and Cleveland, I, I would think everyone is even more on board with him because they see that he, again, he's 20 or 21 years old. And it's like, he's got, he, he plays like he's been in the NBA for five years. He's just under control making smart plays and has basketball IQ. Just like you, you just said.
0: Yeah. It, it's been interesting to just kind of see, like these guys don't look like rookies out there. And I, I'm a big believer of, you know, Summer League, if you dominate that, doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. You know, they should be doing that because a lot of the times you're going up against guys that don't, that won't be in the NBA next year and mm-hmm. won't be playing. So, you know, it's the level of competition. But at the same point, you don't want to look bad. And the better you look in Summer League, the more comfortable I'm going to feel about trying to figure out projections for him going forward. All of these guys, every single one of them, clear, and beyond just the four guys we're talking about here, I think, clearly belong in the NBA, and they've shown that. And it's a reason why this team's 3-1 and one in Summer League play so far and looks really good throughout all of it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with what you said about, you know, you want to show that you belong. Just because you dominate in Summer League, it doesn't necessarily translate to the real season. I mean, we've seen a lot of guys that were Summer League heroes or whatever you want to call them that didn't make much of an impact the following season or, you know, average 30 points a game in Vegas. But then two years later, they weren't in the, in the league anymore in the NBA. So I agree with you. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I look for in Vegas is with a lot of college players, you know, obviously I'm sure you, you might be the same way. I don't have time to watch a lot of college basketball during the season. So once the Pelicans regular season is over, I will read as much as I can and watch videos and whatever, try to get as informed as I can about potential draftees because, you know, you never know what could happen on the draft, which is very true this year. The trade that you ended (laughs) up with the eighth and the 17th pick. But anyways, the, what I try to do is I try to be, to know as much as I can. And then I take, obviously after the draft, I looked at everything specifically about Jackson and the keel and at Summer League, I want to see, okay, some of the things that people said were weaknesses about these guys. Of course, it's only Summer League, and you can't do this fully. But you say, how does how do, how do does Nikhil look in terms of what people say he's going to struggle with in the NBA? And one of the things that people said about him was that he's not very athletic. But when I watch him play, going back to your point about basketball IQ, I say to myself, I know that this is an elite competition, but you can see that he's such a smart player that I don't know if that is going to be as big of a concern as some people said. And in terms of Jackson, where people said, you know, he's probably a couple years away because he was such a late bloomer, and he's really only played competitive basketball for two years, his senior year of high school and then one year at Texas. But watching him, I'm like, I don't even know if some of the concerns that people have about that are really well-founded either because he seems so far ahead of what you expect for a quote-unquote project who's 6'11", who is quote-unquote raw, I mean, he's he catches the ball really well. He made a three-pointer last night. I know that's probably not going to be part of his bread and butter, but he's already done a bunch of things that make me say um, I'm not sure if some of the things that people were worried about are really going to be as much of a problem as 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 we think. So regardless of the stats or whatever, I think those are some of the most important things to look at is that you're jumping a level of competition and there's – We've seen guys in college who are great. I mean, Syracuse is my team, my college team, obviously. They're a pretty good example. We've seen guys who average 20 points a game in college, but in the NBA they can't cut it because it's just a different – there's so much different difference in the competition and how tough it is to get your own shot off. I mean, there's a million things. But I feel like so far the uh, Pelicans rookies that were part of the draft have checked a lot of those boxes. and made me feel very good about them in a lot of different ways.
0: Yeah, I, I fully agree with you, and that's a really good point of, you know, those the concerns people had coming in to Summer League and to them making the transition to the NBA. A lot of those really have been eased, so we'll, we'll dive into that in a second here, but before we get to that, I do need to make sure everyone knows to subscribe to the Locked On Pelicans podcast Monday through Friday, bringing you everything you want to know about this team. Wherever you get your podcast from, just hit that subscribe button. On with Jim Eichenhofer here of Pelicans.com, writer for them. Again, you can follow him on Twitter if you don't already. I'm sure they already do. At Jim underscore Eichenhofer. So we've talked a little bit about Zion and just the the team building in general. But I think, you know, now that we're in kind of – we had the Zion part, now it's the other part of Summer League, which is the Jackson Hayes, the Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Didi Silva aspect of everything – Let's start with Alexander Walker, because out of those three guys, despite Hayes' dunk where he more or less killed a man, I think he's been the most <laughs> Im- impressive. He should not be playing for the team, by the way, after something like that. like He should be in jail, uh, stuck in Vegas with you guys <laughs> trying to bail him out, because that was just cruel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but Alexander Walker has looked unbelievably good I think like far surpassing any expectations that anyone really was going to have for him the passing has been there the scoring has been there the rebounding and defense has been there Uh, what's been the most Mm -hmm. impressive of his just very strong overall game to you so far I
1: would say his feel for the game and his vision as far as right from the jump of the first game that he was, was on the court against Chicago you could tell that he had an idea and awareness of what was going on in the court at all times when he had the ball in his hands, which is one of the big reasons why Jackson Hayes was able to get so many easy play easy dunks and you know, ended up on every highlight reel. The Jackson himself said this that the pass that Nikhil made was just as, as it pretty was as dirty. The dunk. It was a wraparound pass. Yeah. Like it was right. left He's very he's definitely very strong left handed he finishes a lot with his left hand and even passes a lot with his left hand, which is unique because he's, he's right, his right hand is, his, I don't know if you want to say officially his his strong hand. But I just love the fact that he, had his, he has his head up all the time and he's able to either create a shot for himself or find somebody. He had six assists in the game against Cleveland, but he had a bunch of other plays that didn't turn out to be assists where he's driving along the baseline, sees a guy on the weak side in the corner, um, dishes it to that guy for an open three or it's a swing swing to somebody else and that gets an open shot where he doesn't get an assist, but it was a really good play and it just seems like um he's done that so much it just seemed like he has such a good grasp for what they're trying to do offensively, and he plays under control so much and he's also i referenced how people said um after the draft that his athleticism was one of the weaker parts of his skill set but he's so crafty with his finishes that it's not like he has to drive the, through the lane and just dunk on somebody to score. He has some of these flip shots. Um, he had a really pretty one with his right hand against um, Cleveland. He had a couple really nice finishes with his left hand against Chicago. So um, just, uh, I mean, I could go on a, a lot from what I've seen these first two games, but I think the way I would sum it up best is the guy's 20 years old, but he looks like he's been in the NBA for a bunch of years. And when you put him against, summer league guys, a lot of whom are very talented players, but don't have the same um, savvy or um, just ability to understand, like to just outthink kind of think the game the way he does. You can see how the results that Nikhil has gotten so far. And honestly, I think it's still early because he's only played two games in the summer league, but I mean, he's building a case to be one of the best players in the entire summer league so far, even though he's only been on the court for two games going into the quarterfinals on Saturday
0: yeah I I, no, I think so and, and you mentioned it's that craftiness the, the guy can finish I don't know if, yeah I guess if he's he's dominant hands is right he, you know he looks ambidextrous around the rim and I think being able to yeah. finish around the rim like that is such an important thing particularly for these young guys who shot maybe takes a little bit to come along and if you can score around the rim you don't need to worry about getting fouled going to the free throw line it's something that I see being a potential issue at least in LA with a guy like Lonzo Ball who doesn't attack as much because I I think he's scared to get fouled and go to the free-throw line where he shoots a very mm-hmm. subpar number. But when you can be sure. this aggressive as Alexander Walker's been because you can finish around contact in almost any kind of contact, I think that does leaps and bounds for your confidence as a rookie and to come in and have a successful first season in the NBA.
1: Yeah, and i tell you what, too. Um, you know how with the analytics trend in the NBA the last few years, we're getting to a point where there's a lot of players that only – Score at right at the rim or shoot three pointers, but the other thing that I've loved about Nikhil, he had a couple kind of turnaround mid-range jumpers.
0: He had the Kobe like, shot I, in the first game, yeah, right? It looked exactly, yeah, exactly like vintage Kobe.
1: Yep, and he's he's got a bunch of stuff in his in his toolbox that you say um, this guy is so much more versatile offensively than ninety nine percent of the players that you see coming out of college into the NBA he's not limited to just a couple things and I think um people have talked about the reference from draft night where people where there was a comparison I'm trying to remember now it was a few weeks ago I think it might have been on air on ESPN where they talked about how Lou Williams might be a comparison to him and I think that the more I watch him play the more I think that that comes from the craftiness like you referenced but also just the fact that he can do it in so many different ways like Lou Williams Lou Williams is one of the best guys at drawing defenders off balance, getting foul calls that way. He's not super athletic, but he – I think he was a lot more earlier in his career, but he can still score around the basket. He just knows how to get his shot off. And then, of course, he's got the range, which we have barely even talked about, but Nikhil uh, has made a bunch of pull-up three-pointers with a guy in his face and made some spot-up shots as well. I mean, He's got a step back in there too. Exactly. It just seems like there's almost no aspect – Of offense in terms of scoring that he isn't hasn't showed us in just two games on the court so I mean I think that's very promising for his ability to be able to no matter how the defense attacks him or strategizes against him that he has so many different counters.
0: Yeah, and it, it, like you said, that's a really good way to put it is, you know, whatever you throw at him, he's kind of comfortable with it because his game is so well-rounded. If you trap him or something, let's say, it doesn't take him kind of out of his rhythm because he has other ways to beat you. So his his teammate out there, Jackson Hayes, has been probably the flashiest guy. He was number one on Center after that dunk um, against the – I don't even know what Bulls player it was, which is probably good for that Bulls player that we don't know his name. <laughs> yeah, um, let's, not, let's not mention – let's not mention his name on here for the sake of for him, him personally <laughs> yeah because yeah. It, i know he listens to locked on pals every single day of course <laughs> so um so he's been one of the flasher players but all of his success really comes from a maybe not all of it but a lot of it is him really working well off ball and off ball movements and cuts that dunk that he had um came off of him just cutting from the three-point line towards the rim and I think when you look at this kind of system of play, they're going to play in transition a lot, but you're, maybe 75% of your offense is still going to come in the half court, and having that off-ball movement is so key. And for a guy who maybe doesn't have the better best jump shot or a jumper, even though he tried to prove us wrong with that against the Cleveland Cavaliers, I've seen that from Jackson Hayes that has really jumped out at me offensively for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's been able to... he's he's. One of the things I, I've noted on the radio broadcast over the last two games that he played in was he shot something like 72% or he, he shot an extremely high percentage in his season at Texas. A lot of times, though, when you do that, you it's because everything is a dunk or a tip-in or something right around the basket. So I thought, you know, again, going back to what the scouting report on him was, I wasn't expecting him to be able to do much away from the hoop Based on, you know, if you, have, if you didn't do that in college, you're probably not going to be able to do that right away in the NBA. But he's made, he's, he's able to make mid range shots. He made a three point shot. Um, he actually, he had some good low, low posts, like back to the basket plays, even though I know that's something that he's probably going to keep working on and something that he needs to improve upon. But also his ability to catch the ball on the move. You see a lot of 6'11 guys players that size that you have to if you're a guard you have to say okay he's running the floor but I need to wait until he's right on the doorstep to feed him the ball because if I pass it to him at the free throw line he's going to travel or he's going to his steps are going to be out of line and it's going to be something disastrous that happens on this play but I I think people have already seen that he has the fluidity and the footwork to be able to um, catch a ball on the fast break take a step or two and throw down a dunk or just draw a foul that kind of thing and I think everyone's talking about the dunk that he had over um, the Bulls player that will rena- remain nameless. <laughs> but but uh, but there he had a he had a couple other plays. He's had a few other plays, um, dunks where you know you just saw the athleticism and even like his football background. As far as there's been a couple plays where there was a loose ball and somebody just had to toss it somewhere, and he was able to reel it in or get his hands on it. And it's like man, I don't remember seeing too many centers that are are able to be comfortable as comfortable as he is in space usually that's you 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 don't want the guy the ball in that guy's hands you want to make sure he gives it up as soon as he possibly can to a guard
0: yeah and no it's it's i think that football background's big he was a wide receiver so he's out there and he feels comfortable catching some of these passes which have come in very fast and not with Maybe a, you'd like a little bit more touch on him, but they've come in pretty hot, and he's corralling that ball, and we've seen centers here in New Orleans that haven't been able to really do that. I think he's also pretty good about once he gets it, not necess- depending on where he is close to the basket, not putting the ball on the ground, which sometimes can kind of be an issue where a guy catches it right below instead of just going up for the dunk. They want to dribble it, and then you kind of see it knocked away from him, resulting in a turnover. But he, mm-hmm. he's looked good, and that athleticism extends to the defensive end, too. He had that block against the Bulls. It was with his elbow, one, because he <laughs> came flying in. Yeah. But he was the help defender. He rotated over to do that, and didn't he have the chase-down block from behind against the Cavaliers, I think, too?
1: Yeah, he's he did he's done that a few times. I mean, he's just been so aggressive of going after shots and he's had a bunch of plays where it wasn't a block shot, but he changed the shot, altered it by the other team. So, um, but yeah, his, his athleticism, you talk about chase down blocks, his ability to run the floor and be pretty, a pretty fast player and be able to leap like that with the timing that he has, it's definitely made it. So I think, these other the bulls and the cavaliers the teams that have played against him have eventually started looking over their shoulder sometimes and wondering wondering where he is because he's shown that he can block a lot of shots even when he's it's not the guy he's guarding it's him coming from the weak side and blocking a ball into the stands
0: yeah, it's again, just overall, it's, it's tough not to be impressed with, with all of these guys. And we touched on Didi Silva a little bit earlier, who we don't need to focus on as much, particularly because he will be playing in Australia next year. So there's two more guys I want to ask you about that I have another question for you before we kind of wrap up. So everyone, again, make sure you subscribe to the Locked On Pelicans podcast wherever you get your podcast from. All right, here with Jim Eichenhofer of Pelicans.com. Again, you can follow him on Twitter. It's at Jim underscore Eichenhofer. So two more guys I want to quickly ask you about. We know Kenrich Williams has been out there with this team kind of in that veteran leadership presence. His numbers, if you just look at the box score, don't jump out at you. But he's been maybe the most key guy for this team, I think, during this stretch. What have you seen from him in summer league and how he's built upon his game from last year with the Pelicans? I think he's improved his shot Um, so
1: that in from a flashiness standpoint or just casual fan thing, that might be one thing that you've noticed, but I think he's done exactly what we know that he does as Kenrich Williams in terms of he's the best hustle guy on the court. He's coming up with loose balls all over the place. He's diving on the floor. He's getting long rebounds. I think from a stat standpoint, that's probably been the thing that he's done the best in summer league is, is grabbing boards and, as we saw during the regular season, he does it a lot of times where there's three or four guys even from the other team that all have a chance to get the ball and he still is able to pick the ball out of traffic. So, but he's been uh he he's been I said this during the broadcast um of the cab, the Cavs game as well that he um you watch him play in in, the, in summer league and you say if you had to if you had to you know find a fan pick a random fan out of the stands and say Pick pick for me which of the 10 guys on the court played in the NBA and played in regular season games last year. And I feel like a lot of people who have some grasp of basketball would have been, would be able to identify him because you can just see that uh, he just seems like he's always in the right place. And he um, just has a really good understanding of what his his strengths are. So, I mean, the coaches have talked about this a lot over the last few days, too, that he just – I mean, he's just the glue of the team. And so, I mean – I talked about this with Daniel last night, or on the on the radio broadcast the Cavs game again. Um, his there's so much talent and so much depth on the the regular NBA roster that the Pelicans have now. The thing that makes me, I mean, it's going to be so hard. There's going to be so much competition for spots in the rotation and the, in different lineups. But the thing that to me gives Kenrich the best chance of being part of whatever, in whatever role it is for the Pelicans next season, it's that. He is one of those guys that just does all of the stuff that you need. There's a ton of talent on the roster. There's a ton of scoring. But he might be one of those guys that can fit into a lot of lineups because of all of the different stuff, a lot of which is intangibles, drawing charges even that um, help out a, a, a lineup and, and make you successful, even if he's not going to be the guy that averages you know, 20 points a game.
0: No, and, and having a guy that goes as hard as he does has to be just huge for the Pelicans to have him. their practices, too, to push maybe some of the mm-hmm. starters or to show kind of some of the younger guys. And I know David Griffin's big on that kind of culture-bearing veteran, but even with just one year in the league, it seems like Kenrich Williams really fits that and is going to push these guys and make them better players, too, with just the type of person he is, his personality, and his style of play. Yeah, he's very low maintenance as a person. I mean, he's he's not one of
1: those people that is very loud practices. I mean, I'm, I'm sure people, when they hear him do interviews, you can tell how soft-spoken he is, and just he just wants to contribute in any way that he can. And I think a lot of times when I see him do the things that he does on the court, um, it reminds me of how back to training camp last, last uh, fall that he was one of the guys that, people didn't really know much about they knew he was a decent player in college but the the pelicans coaches kept saying you know we wanted it we, we kept saying like okay we got to make a cut you know maybe it's maybe it should be Kenrich, and they kept coming back to that in practices and during scrimmages he was always the guy that was in the right spot and he was always the the player that kept making hustle plays and and doing the doing the right thing and benefiting the team so much so they ultimately decided hey there's There's no way we can get rid of this guy. And I think once he got to play during the regular season, it was so much more clear of what they meant by that. And we've seen the same thing in summer league so far.
0: Yeah, he's looked good. Another guy who's looked good, and you, you alluded to this a second ago, saying it's going to really be tough for minutes or just a roster spot, given kind of the way things are as they now uh, as they are now, though, is Covell Bigby Williams out of LSU. And I know a lot of people here locally are really rooting for this guy. He's looked good mm-hmm. kind of scoring and rebounding the ball. I don't know if there's just really a place on this roster for him, but he looks like a guy who should at least be on a, maybe a two-way deal or something like that in the end. This coming year,
1: yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is I do wonder if it's possible that he could be looked at for a two-way contract. Um, He's been impressive because he—he's actually he's a lot more of the traditional five-man that we don't see that much in the NBA because now everyone thinks that every player has to shoot threes. But just the combination of him being able to finish around the basket, another guy that shot a super high percentage in his. Uh, season at LSU combined with how well he's been able to rebound and also block shots it's just been a a nice combination of of things that he's brought to the court to uh, be able able to make a really nice contribution even if going into summer league I don't know if there were really that much expectations for what he was going to be able to do or even how much he was going to be able to play.
0: Yeah, and I think that's just kind of the thing. There's just not a natural spot, and he should be somewhere. But there's a place for guys like that, I still think, in the NBA. And so finally, before we wrap up, you've been calling the games on the radio on the new flagship station, 100.3 FM ESPN Radio here in New Orleans. You've done a couple of these summer games. I know you and I were talking before, and you said you've called a couple of games over the past few seasons. Was there anything like calling the earthquake game? And how, <laughs> how did that go? Because you, you were at least doing some of the radio stuff with the rained-out game during Muses a couple of seasons ago, I think. How were those two um, almost disasters like?
1: <laughs> I wasn't involved radio-wise in the rain-out game that was really just exclusively in my writing role Okay. But for the earth, for the earthquake that happened, um, last week, we, I was in mid sentence. I don't even remember what I was talking about. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, and I was so focused on what I was saying that it took me a while to realize that there was an earthquake. We thought someone had bumped into our table and that was why it was shaking. But then when it kept going, it we realized like, okay, something crazy is happening here. But, um, we, we stayed on the air because one of the weird things was there's 7.53 left in the game. And even though it be, started to become clear that they probably weren't going to continue the game when you still saw fixtures and speakers on the ceiling shaking several minutes after it happened, um, we didn't know, okay, are they going to cancel the game? Are they going to take a half-hour break and continue and play the last seven minutes because you're so close to the end of the game? It's like, okay, if we can do this, we might as well just wrap up the game. So we stayed on the air for the whole next 30 minutes and just talked back and forth about, um, you know, stuff like what we saw from Zion and the minutes that he played that night, um, some of the other conversation about the team. So uh, it was probably, other than the earthquake itself, I think the thing that I'm going to remember the most about that broadcast was just being in a situation where we, out of nowhere, had all this time to fill. So that was definitely a challenge. I think we got through it okay, but it was – it was just one of those things that, like, how could you possibly be prepared for something like that to happen? So, definitely <laughs> something that I'll remember for a long time. That's
0: for sure. Had you ever been in an earthquake before?
1: I I think um I think that was my third one.
0: Okay. Because oh, I you're was, like a veteran I, at this point.
1: Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, in of all of all places, this might have even been the last time there was an extremely minor earthquake in New York State, and I remember waking up and like everything rattling for a few seconds in my house. And then that was it. And then in San Francisco, we were in San Francisco a couple of years ago on a road trip. And there was one that hit that was, I think, relatively minor as well, but it, it, it woke me up overnight and things were shaking. And I was like, what the heck is, I was so out cold that I didn't even realize until the next morning, like, Oh yeah, there must, there was an <laughs> earthquake. Yeah, Cause I remember it waking me up, but this was by far of the three, this was by far, the one that was like legitimately like, wow, this is significant. And, but I actually think it helps that I was on the air because it took my mind off of, a lot of people were freaking out. And I saw a lot of people tweet that they thought they were, their their life was about to end or whatever. Um, But I didn't feel that way at all because I was just so focused on, you know, what we were doing on the broadcast, which is crazy. But that's what happened.
0: No, I mean, that's like a, it's it's just a wild story. It's like kind of unprecedented in a way. And as someone who talks a lot, having to fill a lot of time is not necessarily the easiest thing. And you can do a lot of prep work for the broadcast and everything you do. And then all of a sudden that goes out the window. It's like, great, all of that work <laughs> and not the easiest thing. Yeah. So I'm sure that was a, a really unique experience. That's gotta be like a year's worth of broadcasting experience just in that like one <laughs> game for everything. So- Yeah, j- and you know, another- no, no. Just another
1: quick detail I was going to say too that was funny is the timing of it being on Friday. And I'm, of course, the main thing is everyone's safe and no one, no one was injured and everything was fine. But it was funny that the timing of it was it was on Friday, and a lot of the additions got approved Saturday as far as the Lakers trade. So we also had to fill that time with being unable oh, to actually able to talk mention about a lot all of the that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So we were. I was kind of joking. Like, can we get on the phone right now and talk to somebody and and say, hey, can we speed
0: up this process a little bit, but... But, uh, but anyways, we, we got through it, so it was all good. <laughs> That's actually a really good point. It was weird with people with the team who can be fine for tampering if you talk about things that aren't official yet or if they're technically under like another team's player that, despite it kind of being out there, that you guys weren't allowed to talk about that. It's just kind of weird, and I'm sure we're going to see the NBA do some changes with that. But Jim, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast with me today. I really appreciate it. You've got the, the boots on the ground there in summer league, so the insight is absolutely wonderful. To hear. No
1: problem, Jake. I had a great time talking. Let me know. I'll be glad to come on any time.
0: So big thanks to Jim for coming on the podcast giving his insight from Summer League and talking all things New Orleans Pelicans and that's going to do it for this edition of Locked On Pelicans, your longer special Friday edition of Locked On Pels here. Unsure if we're going to have a podcast on Monday or not depending on how things go here in South Louisiana. If you're a local, stay safe. As always, I'm your host Jake Madison, at Nolajake on Twitter. I'm going to be back with you all next week.